0: Welcome to The Transect, a podcast about archaeology in BC. My name's Cody. I'm Sean Pekinon. And I'm Wayne Point. And uh, I, I have no idea where Ian Sellers is. Uh, I, I have not seen him in ages. Uh, I've texted him like a hundred times and I have no idea. So we're, we're just recording without him now.
1: No, wait, Ian's actually out in the building the, um, helping Ian McCatchney
0: in the yeah. University of Victoria in the Field School. So, uh, unable to join us, unfortunately. But, uh, as a replacement, uh, we've got Wayne Point, and uh, pretty excited to have him in the studio. Uh, Wayne, uh, we usually kind of start things off here with uh, a question about how people got started in archaeology. Would you care to fill us in a little bit? Well,
2: I started at a pretty young age, um, maybe seven or eight years old, and that will be about 1967, um mm-hmm. as my mother would um collect artifacts in the farm fields that surrounded our house at the time. Mm-hmm. These were Chinese market gardens and there were only probably about three houses along our street while well, they are just dirt roads back then, and the market gardens were basically right on top of a site mm-hmm. and, and there are every time they tilled the soil um, artifacts would um get turned up. Um, so that's how I got um, early start to identify um artifacts.
0: What, uh, what were you
1: finding? That's what I was curious. Yeah what, what kind um, of things were coming out of the farm?
2: Um ads blades, small ones uh, and projectile points. Yeah. Back then um we um collected the obvious, um, artifacts. Um today we would have um were collecting all the flakes but back <laughs> yeah. then we just collected the pretty the pretty artifacts and plus bone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And trade beads were and there are a lot of trade beads, the Russian blue trade mm-hmm. beads.
1: And it was with your mom. it's Rose, right? Yeah. Was that your mom? Did she have a big influence on you in terms of like having an appreciation for archaeology and the ancestors and the people that came before um my mother um she
2: um we got up early they made us get up early and on weekends and sh- they made sure we were doing something and yeah yeah and collecting artifacts on weekends and when i wasn't in school was mm-hmm. was big and if i wasn't out playing somewhere with other kids they're, I'd be collecting artifacts yeah. and So,
1: and did you like I mean as a young kid that they're, they're always kind of neat to find were you always kind of like turning them over and looking at them and just thinking about how they were used how they were made what the material was even at a young age
2: yeah it's um, yes, she collected artifacts on what's known as Jingsfield Field and it must have been about Four acres of of farmland at the time, Mm -hmm. and so we learned at a young age, me and my brother Jesse. But I kind of kept on going at it, and
1: yeah, because a few years later, um, in 1972, you were like 13. Yeah, you were you you started volunteering for a field squad at UBC. Is that right? Yeah,
2: there was. at the western end of Jamesfield, bordering the creek Muscogee Creek, there mm-hmm. was um, uh, Charles Borden had started a field school. Right at the uh, margins of the creek in the Chinese Garden. Mm-hmm. Today, that would be DHRT four. Right. So.
1: It has a name too the st- is
2: Oh, Stalox is the st- HRT2. Ah, okay. That's to the southern end. Of, okay. Of, um, it borders 51st Avenue mm-hmm. and that was a 1955 excavation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that was the um, Charles House mm. is excavation. That,
0: is that the one that's right up on the golf course as well?
2: Yeah, close to the, the golf course. There were two lawn houses. Uh
0: yeah. I think because you, <clears throat> y- you and I found a a portion of uh of of something when we were doing golf course work there one time i I remember there there was a a component like a and i mostly remember because you did a really amazing wall uh like a uh like this stratigraphic uh panel uh like a profile a profile god I'm an <laughs> oh, idiot. what is going on there <laughs> okay we're gonna have to edit around that no. um Oh, boy. A wall with lines a on wall. it. Yeah. <laughs> you did a really good drawing of a wall with lines on it. I'm a professional archaeologist. Yeah. Wayne's excellent at that profile. I know. He's super good. Because I, I actually drew one myself, and then I saw the one that Wayne drew, and I was like, oh, man, this one's way better. Did you just say like, you probably just erased your name? Didn't you? I just erased, uh, erased Wayne's name and wrote mine yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, typical.
2: But, um, yeah, the stalactite was uh, one of Charles Borden's... Um, Uh, First excavations on Musqueam, Mm -hmm. so that was 55, and that was with, I think Mike Q was one of the archaeologists that worked with him, and he's still living on Musqueam right now. Oh, really? Mike Q. Yeah, okay. So he married one of the ladies from Musqueam back then.
1: Yeah, K-E-W, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, Q, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the one at DHRT 4, that's yeah. the one you... Who was all teaching that? Borden was, like, overseeing it, but...
2: Yeah, um, Dave Archer was the lead archaeologist, and and there's a number of other people that um, would volunteer the HS... Um, there's a number of people that came in, but the main group were Kitty Bermick. Mm-hmm. And Hillary Stewart came by every now and then. Oh yeah, and Len Ham dropped by, and but yeah. he wasn't around till the seventy three excavation. Okay. And. and Dave, there, Dave Archer. Yeah, Dave Archer yeah. was the lead one, and and there's another a couple other ladies, ones that did mapping and. I don't remember all the names. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few people that came in and out. and
0: It sounds like a, a kind of like an all star list, kind of just going <laughs> through all these people that mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've read tons you know. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't realize you'd started working with Lenham so early on. Yeah. You know, That's a, yeah.
2: Oh, so, yeah. Dave Archer had me um, screening um, the back door that came out of the units. So. Right. Yeah. And filling out artifact forms, we didn't have uh, laptops back then, <laughs> so <laughs> no. we just had
1: um, paper like forms. Paper
2: forms, artifact yeah. forms. We Longhand. give each one a number, then we describe it, and then
1: those are probably still at Loa, uh, the Laboratory of Archaeology. Yeah. I imagine at yeah, UBC, are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And <laughs> yeah, we—they've all been scanned, uh, the uh, forms. Yeah. So yeah, you might be able to find them on the RNN. Oh, yeah. the Reciprocal
0: Research yeah. Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Also, yeah. If you guys, if if any of the listeners don't know about the Reciprocal Research Network, it's a really cool project between uh, a couple of universities and and Musqueam. And I think is there other First Nations involved as well?
2: Um, I think Musqueam was the main component, um, but it's um, they have to sh- they the purpose of it was to share information worldwide with other other museums and
0: yeah and it's a yeah. it's a really interesting project yeah. it's yeah i I had a class with Barb Winters from SFU yeah. and uh, we spent a fair amount of time just looking into it and checking it out it's yeah. really it's really neat and there's really amazing photographs of artifacts yeah. and yeah
1: so Wayne yeah. these early influences are really important in your development they all obviously sparked a fire and interest in you that yeah. still continues today when we work with you in the field um can you look back and think? how those early formative years really sort of created an outlook or a perspective for you, the way you approach archaeology, especially coming from a, a nation. You represent yeah. your community and yourself. It's a lot different because B.C. Yeah. is a very interesting place being driven a lot by yeah. development and mostly the archaeology. Did those yeah. early years help give you some confidence or a perspective on how you looked at archaeology? Well,
2: back then, even at that young age... Um, I was wondering why other people were coming into our land and right. excavating um, mm-hmm. our um, heritage. And back then, I said, well, that's our artifacts they're collecting. And <laughs> so I had to go there and see what they're up to, and mm-hmm. I started volunteering. And, mm-hmm. and that's how I um, really understood what they're... What they were doing, and mm-hmm. and Dave Archer was really, he was really good with everyone, and he mm-hmm. got the kids together, showed them how to. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed a display kit of all the artifacts that were collected, and yeah, and he worked with me quite a bit, and and during the summer summertime. Um, we went out on holidays. I mean, the family, my parents would take us to Suyas mm. And so they let um, all the Dave Archer and the archeolo- other archaeologists stay at their house for the summer while we're out camping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they got to stay there. Nice. Yeah. But, but the collecting of the artifacts, uh, I guess... Um, it hasn't really changed much since then, just um, <laughs> no. back then everything was put into tin cans, cigarette cans, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, tr- right, cookie yeah. containers, and, yeah. and, and asthmat bags were big assorted materials.
0: Yeah, H- hazmat bags? Asthmat. Oh, asthmat. <laughs>
2: A S S M A T, asthmat. That's what was written on the bag. Really? <laughs> um, I think that was developed by the branch at the time. Oh, God.
1: That, that sounds like an idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so, that sounds, that sounds that like an archaeology joke. Yeah. They didn't
2: yeah. have level bags back then, no. they had asthmat bags.
1: Oh. And all this oh. young experience, is that what led to you able to draw profiles better than Cody? Because <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> it sounds like you really got a lot of hands on teaching in those early years by all the archaeologists they seemed really interested in, in showing the methods and the ideas well, behind it hey? I didn't
2: do much profiling back then it was just screening a lot of screening and mm-hmm. I was working with different people mm-hmm. that I began to learn that yeah, people are, they specialize in different fields of work and right. Len Ham would hire contractors to work for him and He'd hire people who just all they did was profile mm-hmm. on to site. And, wow!
1: Yeah, let's talk about Lenham a, a little bit. You mean you had yeah. a pretty good long relationship with Len, didn't you?
2: Yeah, um, I've known him for quite a while. I guess uh, I don't know how I don't know when I first met him, but was trying to think. Um,
0: for any listeners who don't uh, know Len, who Lenham is, would you mind kind of describing mm-hmm. who he was?
2: Um, he he was one of um Dave or Charles Borden students, and he went to UBC, I think, and he got his master's and his PhD. Um, um, he did a lot of work in Tuasen also, and I think his PhD was on the uh,
1: Crescent Beach Crescent
2: Beach site.
1: All oh, right, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm.
2: But um. He was um, what we call old school archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way a bit, I think. But yeah, he really knew his um, archaeology, and he was always telling me what to do and what not to do when I'm when I'm working with him, and mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him.
1: Yeah, he, you kind of apprentice. He you he kind of mentored you in your development. Yeah. Would you say, hey? Eh? Yeah,
2: and. He'd sit down with me for hours up in the computer, and he'd be just showing me all the sites he worked at, and I plotted them on maps. And mm-hmm. So, I guess for some reason he he wanted to pass off all of his work-related projects to me. And
1: so, do you think he? In his mind, or maybe through your guys' relationship, do you think he had the idea that, as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, that the Musqueam should be doing its own archaeology and being the stewards and caretakers and owner of their heritage? Did you, did you see him trying to kind of influence that kind of thinking or idea? or did
2: I think it was leaning in that direction. They wanted to, but...
1: Not explicit, maybe? Yeah. Yeah.
2: He had... Um, Yeah. He was um. How do you say um? He ruffled people's feathers <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, you know. that's kind of like part of the legend of Len. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I was going to ask. I know you spent some time on Seabird Island growing right. up. Uh, that kind of out that way. Did you ever do any archaeology out there?
2: No, no, I just spent a lot of time in the bush area. Mm. I know the landscape um pretty well the shorelines of the river and where the farms are. And
0: yeah. It's just a, a really fascinating area. Yeah. There's lots of interesting stuff up there.
2: So yeah. But um I like to go there and kind of document um give them a hand with their inventory if I if I could, but
0: Yeah, I know they're, you know, They've been working on inventory and like keeping like a good up to date inventory. Yeah. They, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, really fantastic stewards of the heritage up there. Yeah.
1: yeah, I have a question for you, Wayne. Do you now thinking back and you you know you have fifty plus years of kind of experience? You know, on and off, you've kind of been in archaeology, done other tasks and done other things, and have always come back to it. It's been important to you. Do you consider yourself at this age an archaeologist? Do you consider yourself a representative of the nation or both? How do you see yourself fitting into this discipline?
2: Um, I've been kind of asked that question before, and some people think they should just, they want me to document all my work and see how many credits I probably could have. Mm -hmm. for a diploma or
1: or even a field directorship according to the branch yeah Yeah.
2: so I've been now I've been keeping itemized track of all my projects now Mm -hmm.
0: but we sometimes talk about that uh I just like how crazy it is that like you can have more experience than everybody that I work with combined, and uh, and the and the branch still he- is like hesitant to recognize yeah. like formally your ability to do this, which is absurd.
1: And I have an issue with yeah. that because if you come to BC and you have an outside degree, you have a, even if you have a PhD, <clears throat> you work elsewhere, you still have to get experience within BC. So it's almost like a, a degree is meaningless in that way. In some way, it doesn't matter if you, what your accreditation is, and then you always have to earn it in the field. And and there's lots of people like Wayne and others that have tons of experience and are never, s- at least in the branch's eyes, maybe are, it, yeah. it, it aren't equals in that way. Yeah, I've been thinking about
2: that in the branch, and I'm not too worried about what the branch thinks. And <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah. I um. Yeah. I'll work with them, and they they've got a full plate over there. They're sure. understaffed, and but um, a lot of I have a lot of information I could share with them, but um, mm-hmm. the band office are reluctant to share anything with the branch. They have a kind of a mm-hmm. they headbutt with the branch
0: sometimes. Sure. So yeah, yeah, and it's. It, it's, yeah, two government agencies kind of coming up. Yeah. And the branches, I, I feel like the branch is very reluctant to let go of any power yeah. that they have. And that's kind of like you have to give some of that up if you're going to, like, adequately con- communicate and consult with First Nations. Like, you can't hold all of the, like, legislative cards in that yeah. case. So... And it, it, Well, you can, but it just won't be in good faith. It won't work very yeah. well.
2: Mm-hmm. I think they're changing slowly, the branch and... They got new staff, in, and I think they were recognized, and some of the old ways don't always work in their favor. So. Yeah.
1: And I think they have a large jurisdiction to cover. I mean, BC is yeah. huge, and I think sometimes we've seen other programs where it's it's better— It works more efficiently if nations have the ownership and are tracking the sites and and keeping those records and keeping an idea of what's happening to the sites in their territory, Uh, especially if you think about vulnerability or impacts to sites too, right? Um, It it, it probably should be some kind of middle ground 50-50, but nations should – shouldn't just have to default to the branch. They should be able to
0: have that kind of ownership and stewardship the way yeah. you, you've you kind of done it on your own, always working with yeah. you. And that's kind of the inspiring thing about how archaeology is mm-hmm. happening right now is that a lot of the nations are just stepping up and saying, oh, we don't really care what the branch thinks. Here are our yeah. rules for doing archaeology yeah. in our territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: they don't even recognize um, a First Nation permit. Huh? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole yeah. cool yeah. can of yeah. beans.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Which is, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I they may have their internal reasons from from other
1: from like the uh, minister, whoever minister. Yeah.
2: yeah. So they're not going to budge on that, and but I have um, I've been compiling a lot of my own data in this area and. Mm-hmm. I think I've documented forty-two finds and, or my own data collection mm-hmm. of um, artifacts, or right from artifacts to new sites. New sites, yeah. So. And it's still ongoing. And.
1: Yeah. So in that sense, I guess uh, it's an earlier question. Do you, yeah. you do you do you consider yourself an archaeologist, then? do you consider yourself? A representative of the nation or how do you do you have to define maybe you don't yeah, have to define well, yourself
2: i don't think i have to i've thought about that too and and being an archaeologist um like accredited archaeologists there are certain rules and boundaries you have to follow and (laughs) and
0: and well even like the like the word itself has some colonialist implications like to be an archaeologist is often to to be like kind of colonialist it's hard to unless you're an explicitly indigenous archaeologist
2: but um Mm. but I can do things I can that since I don't have that degree, I can do things to not worry about. Um, but uh, Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still have to follow the rules, so I, yeah, I yeah, won't um, yeah. the basic...
1: Um, but you have, the, I guess my point is, yeah. you, you have the training and experience and skill set that if there is a new site, you know how to document, you know how yeah. to record it, you know how yeah. to excavate these things. I mean, you yeah. have that breadth of experience that, in my mind... This word is problematic, but I I consider Wayne a colleague and archaeologist, and and I also understand you have your interest, your own mm-hmm. interest in the nations as well too. Yeah, so. Len
2: um, he he gave me full reign of his work at mm-hmm. the airport, and and yeah, I he let me go and do all the data recording and yeah, right at the airport about. Four years ago, mm-hmm. so it was happy with the work. And
1: I mean, you have fun out there. I mean, you always yeah. have fun. You're a jokester, which ev- yeah. people that are listening to this know that yeah. you like to play tricks and tell stories. And well,
2: it's good to it's good to have fun out there. I think and you'd want to be you'd want to be micromanaging every mm-hmm. everyone. Just let them be and do their thing, and mm-hmm. as long as they're doing their job, then. I'm happy. and mm-hmm. so.
1: That actually leads into a question I have. Um, From your perspective, what's sort of the most difficult aspect when you come out to a job site or you come out to the field? Are there, are there things that you find challenging at this age still within the world of archaeology in B.C.?
2: Probably dealing with the client, I guess. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know if any of us really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. um, They can be um, an uphill battle working with them and and construction crews. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. People who maybe don't really understand why we're there or what we're doing.
2: Yeah. So you have to kind of. You have to learn how to deal with um, the construction workers and um, the blue-collar client workers sometimes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it's.
1: In your relationship with archaeologists, uh, I mean, over you've had, I mean, I mean, we're drawing on almost fifty years of experience here. In, in a way, it's kind of a treat. <laughs> 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 uh, have you noticed attitudes change from archaeologists over time?s Have you seen people be more receptive to an indigenous presence within archaeology in BC
2: I think um, yeah it's 30 years ago it' was hard to talk to talk to an archaeologist at the same level mm. and, but um, there are people out of UBC were a bit, um, how you say, arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Como se dice, yeah. arrogant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, they wouldn't um, give you the time of day. If, you yeah, know, and I don't see that anymore. It's, no, it's more everyone's even keel out in the field, and and yeah, it's. Just working with other monitors from other jobs or from other bands, um, mm-hmm. I think they have to understand that archaeologists have a lot of work to do and they have a lot of data collecting to do, and mm-hmm. so they they don't see the archaeologists screening or digging with them. Is mm-hmm. so or they're just they're just um, dog dog effing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: could, yeah, you can speak freely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And, and to be fair, I do know some archaeologists who oh. may potentially actually be, uh, as you said, dog effing. <laughs> no, uh, definitely. Yeah. I gotta take this call. I just gotta go do this.
1: And you're like, mm-hmm. they never lift a shovel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
2: yeah, there is a lot of um, work. Um, just data collecting is um, mm-hmm. takes a lot of time. It does. And
1: yeah. you, do have you? Through this process of of coming out and representing Musqueam and, and and getting to work with other nations, have you found that really rewarding and sort of like because I've seen you kind of like make connections in the field and recognize relationships and lineages with others from other places, right? Has, has that yeah. been a rewarding experience to work with uh, cousins from from different places? It
2: is. Um, I get to meet other people from other bands and, mm-hmm. and and I try to um help the new monitors from other bands if they need it. Um some of them are pretty brand new on the yeah. job and mm-hmm. they just need a little bit of um um help with ID, whether they're just screening you just have yeah. to peek over their shoulder every now and then to <laughs> Show them what to look for. And
1: yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I've seen that with Wayne. He has, I've seen him take young people aside and, and kind of like uh, mentor them and show them in a way that is maybe you know better well-received than others where people – I've seen other people, non-Indigenous, yell at people to
0: do certain things. I don't know if you've seen or, that. Or, yeah, get upset if somebody misses something. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah it's – yeah, I know. Well even uh we were at uh Wayne and I were at a bit of an event recently and like there was young people coming up asking if you know they could participate in monitoring stuff in the future yeah. and it's uh it's really great to see that kind of pull. Like to sh- have young people interested in and yeah. to have them have access to you uh to potentially like learn things. And... Yeah.
2: See with the monitors, um, they're only working on uh, consultant in archaeology, not research archaeology. It's, they're two different things. And yeah. So I like to get more into the research, and if
0: possible. Does, uh, does Musqueam afford you a lot of opportunities to do kind of your, your own research?
2: Um, only when I work with uh, UBC Field School mm. back in the 2008. They had about four years of field school mm. on Musqueam.
0: If you if you had a like a dream project that you could do where you had as many as many students as you needed uh to, to dig a site that, that you've always wanted to dig, would you do you have one in mind that you'd love to find some more things about?
2: Um probably the foreshore lands of Musqueal. Oh it's yeah. It's relatively um untouched and who knows what will happen down the road? And with I, that area mm-hmm.
0: is that the same kind of part that's been kind of like filled in with sediment now, and so yeah, a lot of the foreshore is actually quite a ways back.
2: Yeah, it yeah. is. Um I think there's marshy land, but the foreshore is, is dotted with um, midden midden sites.
1: Oh, is this where we were out? That one day, Wayne. together yeah. Okay, I know.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And it starts right from here. Oh Out. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I, you you look around and you you don't you know immediately see the traces, but it, it's a huge, huge community that was here. Mm. Yeah. Just mm. like all the way to the bridge down that way, and yeah. right up to the point this way, it's, it's pretty pretty you get over to English Bay with a car I mean, I mean it's just massive it's yeah it's it's a s- sprawling metropolis yeah. that's, that's here
2: I think um, the last they estimate there were about 1200 band members before contact living along the shoreline just yeah. there yeah.
1: yeah easy yeah Yeah. it was
2: a major um, uh, clam digging mm-hmm. area
1: for all the booms and stuff yeah right? and, d- and then the yeah. big jetty that's out there yeah Yeah.
2: So the jetty was there to control the water flow going out to the deep. Mm -hmm. I like to see the jetty taken down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's interesting. I I mean, we can talk about a little bit of this, but I I don't know if you've... You're you're on social media. Hey, Cody? I've been known to to dabble. Wayne's quite a dabbler on the old social media, and, and you've kind of used it as a platform to talk about some things like that. You've kind of a will comment on the area and history around here. You'll talk yeah. about how things used to be when you were younger. These changes within a yeah. lifetime that you see through development and construction that affect the landscape, the yeah. landforms, hey? Do you find that's a good avenue just for you to kind of speak freely and, and, and maybe, like, a, a spurn discussion or, or like, yeah. encourage it? Or, or how do you see yourself when you kind of comment on that stuff? Well,
2: I've been... In the past, I've been archaeology is still my um, my goal, but I'm leaning more towards the landscape mm-hmm. part of it—the ancient landscape and mm-hmm. what it uh, looked like before, and where is it heading now? And
0: mm-hmm. well, that's so, yeah. I like one of the reasons it's so much fun to have you on site is we were we were working somewhere around here recently and you had kind of you you knew what it looked like before it was the way it is and then it was like a a nursery or something previously and then previous to that it had just been like a bowl in the ground where you had I think you were telling me you used to catch frogs with your brother (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's like with no one else on could I be on site and have like that kind of knowledge of this area and that kind of time depth which is really great Uh, I was but kind of my point jumping off of oh, that man. is... Sorry, did I... No, no, go, go, go. Uh, yeah, That's good. I, I was curious, what are the biggest changes you've noticed just around this area? Like, you've, you've mentioned the the foreshore kind of filling out and, like, oh. a lot of development has changed. A lot of, like, these gardens have become, you know, housing places. But yeah. Do you, do you worry about any of that, like, going forward? Like, just overdevelopment or...?
2: Well, down here, since we're so close to the water table that everything has... Everything needs landfill, so everything's getting capped ah uh, yeah, so it's it's still there. it's just under one meter to three meters of fill mm-hmm. and it's probably getting compressed,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, another thing to yeah. think about is I guess if like big flooding incidents or just even like gradual like water table rises like. Those, it might become more of a salvage... Like, if people do want to work on any of those sites or find anything, it might become more of a salvage operation as yeah. they become more just endangered from from those sorts of yeah. phenomena.
2: Well, around the creek area, there's a lot of um, wet site components. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the 73 excavation. They found um, basketry oh, okay. at the yeah. HRT4. And then in 2008... Um, field school, UBC Musqueam Field School, they found more basketry on who, their last who, day of who work. led that field school. Um, Andrew Martindale. Oh Martindale, okay. And then two thousand fifteen or sixteen they did construction work of a new bridge on mm-hmm. the Musqueam golf course and they and they hit perishables. Cordage and basketry fragments, and so that whole creek area is just one big site.
1: Yeah. Seattle. So, yeah. oh. I mean, do you worry? I mean, Cody was talking about. It. Do you worry about if if everything's like you say built up because of the low water table and, and they cap everything? And you're and you're interested in landscape. I mean, are you still going to be able to sort of take young people out and talk about these places if it's all capped? Are you going to really see it in a way that? People in their minds can see it as a lived space, you know? It seems difficult if everything's capped. It's like, yeah, it's there, but you're not going to easily recognize it, are you?
2: No. um, That's one of the things I want to do in the near future is start um, doing an inventory of the golf course that hasn't been researched, um, like auger testing. (laughs) Uh, Because they do plan to do some work with that. Golf course and down the road could be 50 years from now, but. How long has the golf course been there? Since the early 60s, I think. Wow. Hmm.
0: I, I didn't realize it was that yeah. long. So, like, yeah, if no work has been done on there since the 60s, there's yeah. the potential for quite a bit of material. Yeah,
2: there was, yeah. Um, it used to be a marshy area and some more Chinese market gardens.
1: Yeah. Hmm. What course is it? It's not the Shaughnessy. One. No, it's it's, uh, Musqueam. Uh, it's it's just called Musqueam Golf. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And Shaughnessy's the, the other just
1: golf. Yeah, the other way. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. Why, why? Why? I mean, who? It's silly. Who owns that? Who owns the property there? Um Musqueam Now, right. but but who who developed it originally when they put the golf course in? Do you remember?
2: I don't know. It's a private, um Eagle. Eagle Quest, I think. Developed it,
0: okay. But probably long, ago, long, ago, sorry, long ago enough that they wouldn't have had to do any kind of. There's no like, heritage at you know, all. No. No. Yeah. No. And it comes back to late
1: seventies, so
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, when they excavated the Charles House, they found a lot of duck decoys, wooden duck decoys, and shotgun shells. And, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. And
2: plus the regalia and. Um, artifacts and oh man. So a lot of it's in Loa right now, the mm-hmm. the wood hand carved wooden duck decoys. Wow. That'd be the, pretty sweet. They used to go hunting back there before it was a golf course
1: and Yeah, it was a marshland, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So Cody, did you know that uh Wayne's a bit of a celebrity? I did not. I mean I kinda did. You but, kinda did but yeah. yeah, yeah. So so uh Wayne's um a, f- a feature player in the beginning of Susan Roy's book uh these mysterious peoples with uh Kiescom. and Wayne do you want to tell that story to us and to our listeners
2: yeah it's um it was um transformer stone that was um brought up to was brought to our attention in 2007 uh UBC field school because the Kiescom had one Missing in the nineteen seventy-eight, I guess, and went missing for quite a while. There were there's a there's story speculated that it was stolen mm-hmm. or got buried behind the preschool where it was kept.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, it originally came to Musqueam in the early nineteen hundreds, and through um there's a couple of different versions of how it got here through a gaming, a game that was played, and Musqueam had won the game, and the other version was, Slaywotooth um, had suffered a smallpox epidemic, and Musqueam was, went up there to help the Slaywotooth people, and mm-hmm. the stone was gifted to Musqueam,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that was in the early 1900s, and. After that point, um, it stayed on the reserve, and there was rumors that some people wanted to sell Kaiskam to a museum, and so they, some other people got together, and they sent the Kaiskam to UBC to the old museum, which is now the old library, I think. Mm-hmm. And it sat there for 50 years.
1: Just in, just in the library?
2: Yeah, somewhere in... At UBC, well, it used to be um, part of the live or the old museum, I guess they had there. And in 1976, they were going to build the new museum. Um, So um, they contacted UBC, contacted Muscombe if they wanted Kayskam back. So there's, so the plans were made to bring Kai's come back and they did and and there was placed behind the old preschool but a short time later it went missing
3: hmm.
2: and well it was missing for from the late 70s up until 2008 when I found it it's like 30 years yeah. yeah so it was gone for quite a while they even posted ads in the newspapers in New York and about the missing...
1: Just to see if it was in other museums or yeah. collections or something? Yeah, like someone
2: knew where it was. But so in 2007, one of the stories that it got buried beyond the preschool during construction, so um, we got ground-penetrating radar and we, mm-hmm. we scoped the backyard of the preschool and we couldn't find any signatures of a large boulder. hmm It was too much. Um, There's a lot of other um, rocks that made the same signatures of any boulder wood, and Mm -hmm. we didn't find it then. But in 2008, um, it was a Sunday morning in January, I took my dog for a walk and. And I was looking at the riprap and I just noticed one rock was different from the rest of the rocks and and I left it for a week or so then hmm. two weeks later I came back with my dog again and and I still noticed that rock was just kind of had a look wonder what, why sandstone out here with the with the granite and so I I just wanted to turn the sandstone over see what the if I can make use of sandstone as a material type and I knew the underside wouldn't be weathered it'd be easier to see the unweathered side than mm-hmm. the side that was facing the sun and rain I just wanted to see if it was a very good quality sandstone so I went and got um, a big cedar branch and and I spent about 10 minutes trying to pry it over because <laughs> it weighs about 600 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> it's very large. Yeah, it's a lot. And after about 10, 50 minutes, I finally rolled it over and it rolled on its back face up at me. And I saw the oh. carved
1: face. Yeah, with the eyes and the mouth. Yeah. You know.
2: And I didn't have... A phone on me. I didn't have anything on me. I walked down there and and so I covered everything. I covered it up with um, branches from the mm-hmm. the shore and I ran back. And the only one I can think of was um, notified at the time was Leona. Yeah, so Leona I, Sparrow. Yeah, you know, yeah. I told her I found um, something down the beach and. I didn't know it was Kai scam at the time, I said it was just a car figurine I found was big, yeah, so i we raced back down and and there's someone else on the beach, but they're a little bit off to the side they're doing a spiritual thing, mm-hmm. and when I got there, I took the branches off and,
0: mm.
2: and Leona's eyes <laughs> just went big, <laughs> <laughs> so. Did she know what? It, who, yeah, wh- she knew what it was what me- it immediately. immediately yeah. yeah, and she got on the on her phone right away and contacted Lenham and yeah. other band members. And within the hour, there's about a hundred people down the beach, mm. and a plan was formulated to put Kaiskab on a pallet and put it on a truck and bring it. To the office, and mm-hmm. it took eight guys to God. pack it on the pallet, and yeah. when put it on the pallet, the pallet was bending. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Did you do a ceremony down there? Did anybody mm. say any words, or is it just nope. kind of get it,
2: just get it out? And yeah. So there's no ceremony involved, but but um, over the course of a couple months, it ended up. At UBC again, it was put on display Mm. with another um, Transformer stone that was repatriated back to the Stolo Nation. Okay. Called Toklawitsa. It was repatriated just about the same time Kaiskam was found.
1: Yeah.
2: And so they had the two Transformer stones side by side Hmm. at UBC.
1: Probably a little too much power in one
0: room. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they look similar at all? Or? Um,
2: a little bit different. Um which had a totally different story behind it. Uh-huh. It was from up the valley, and after about a year, uh, they brought Kaikkan back and they put it on the on the palette that you see the carving and. The other Transformer stone went back to mm. the Stalo Nation.
1: It's, and it's in the Chief and Council. Yeah. R- reading, yeah.
2: Yeah, so... Yeah, I didn't... At the time... For me, uh, collecting artifacts is not the main goal. Mm-hmm. So it's just... It has to be done, but... I'm more... Um, curious about the landscape now than mm-hmm. collecting what the landscape looked like and
1: and the stories it sounds like. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
2: And to me, um, collecting artifacts is I don't um, it has to be done but I don't go out looking for artifacts, so mm-hmm. it wasn't my goal to find find guys. I mean, It just, just happened that day.
1: But it, but it, it created quite a, quite a it really united the community, didn't it? Wasn't there a yeah. lot of excitement and, yeah. and just curiosity and, and trying to uncover its story and what happened to it? Hey, yeah.
2: Um, the late Henry Charles told me that um, um, his family was the kind of the caretakers of kaiskem before it went missing. And mm-hmm. The Charles family looked after it while it was here and. Henry was saying that um, they're at their house having coffee in the morning, and he's talking with someone, and they're talking about Kai Scam, mm-hmm. wondering what could have happened to it and that same day. And then, get, then he got the phone call from someone that they found
1: Kai Th- Scam. They were talking about the same morning having coffee when you found it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Pretty incredible. Uh, and you were, you were showing us, kind of like as we were walking around the lobby, there's there's a photograph that looks like it's about 100 years old. Yeah, about
2: 1915, I guess.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, in the background, kind of just behind uh, one of the people in the photograph's legs, you can see Kaiskem yeah. kind of just yeah. right there.
2: On a different camera angle, you can clearly see yeah. Kaiskem in the picture.
0: It's pretty remarkable to have this kind of... Even like as an item, something that has been around for so long with the community that the community's kind of it's been a central kind of uh figure in like the the culture of the at the area to have that still around and still present and like kind of watching over <coughs> uh, abandoned council meetings is yeah. pretty interesting
2: it's um interesting piece um there were um some musque members living that um it describes the what they did. Uh, community m- members did um, if they want it rain for one day they paint the they put red paint on the face of Kaiskem whether it's red or black I forget which one it was.
1: The like ochre, or yeah, or, and then charcoal for, yeah. the, for the black. Yeah. They
2: paint the face if they want it rain mm. a certain color, and they'll paint it black if they want it sunshine or mm-hmm. red. I forgot which one which was which, but. Mm. But (coughs) they talked to Mary Grant. She lived at um, Patello Bridge site area back in the day on DHRT or DHRR74. Okay. So so there were Musqueam band members living by Patello Bridge, (laughs) along with Kwantlen members.
0: Interesting. So two communities kind of living together.
2: Yeah. But um Musqueam after um they put the bridge in, then they moved back to Musqueam.
0: Oh, so after the bridge went in. Yeah. Oh okay. They moved back.
2: Yeah. But they did live there for a short time and they had to cross the bridge to go shopping in New West. They just walked across so and they moved. Back to Muscium, and there were pictures, photographs of them with scum and they had the face painted.
1: Oh, really? Do yeah. You, do you remember what color it was, or is it black, black and I white? Think. It was black.
2: Yeah. It's mentioned in the. I wonder the if story. you could
1: do. Res- I mean, if if it was in the riprap, do you think it's been washed away? If, that could you do any kind of like.
0: I don't know. If it was face down, there might it might have been sealed on a little better, but it would be it would be so hard to tell.
1: You can get any residue? Could you?
0: Yeah. So were you saying that the I guess what you're saying is like a Kai scam was was at like the Patello bridge for no a, oh, no, no,
2: it wasn't musqueam the people lived at Patello bridge, then they moved to musqueam, oh okay, yeah
0: interesting i would yeah. how do you think they would have moved it if it came from Tsleil-Waututh, do you think just like in a canoe
2: that's oh. where it, what we're thinking where maybe they brought it in by a bunch of canoes lashed together uh yeah. You
1: know. You, have we described it? I mean, it'd be a good idea that, like, just... Because it's, it's quite heavy. It's quite large. It's, would you like to... It's a sandstone. Yeah, sand. It and, is. It, and it stands about at the height of your hip, hey? Yeah. And it's sort of a rounded sandstone...
2: Kind of pear-shaped. I pear-shaped
1: guess. with... with a, At the top is its face. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I don't think anyone's weighed it, but it, I think it weighs a good 600 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's
0: quite large. (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 really imposing to kind of stand in front of it. Yeah, Mm I
2: like to I like to wait myself. If we had scale, but Mm. I don't know
1: your bathroom scale may not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) So I think there will be a way to wait, but. That'll be down the road sometime. Yeah, in the yeah.
1: UBC, when they had it in their possession, they no one ever waited or no. described it anyway. I don't think
2: there is an effort to collect data from it. It was just a spiritual
1: mm-hmm.
2: piece. That yeah, this is a spiritual piece, so they don't want to do too much to it. Um, mm. They think it's a lady. That's
0: why they
1: Yeah, I referred to it as it earlier. I didn't know like yep. oh, they they do think
0: it's feminine, female, yep. yeah. Yeah. Is is there a story behind the name at all? Like
2: I don't know what the story is, what it means. Hmm. I'm lousy with my language. <laughs> 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 so uh,
0: No, I can yeah I can barely manage English, so yeah. I'm impressed that you have <laughs> Any, <laughs> any skills?
1: Right. For that. Are, th- are there lots of young speakers speaking Hunkminum coming on up on on the reserve here?
2: They do have um, a language school here mm-hmm. now, and it's credited with UBC, so a lot of UBC students are taking the course as yeah. well. Yeah, okay. and band members. Hmm. Good. So,
3: yeah.
1: I mean, hopefully, some way, maybe that name, the meaning words, I like hopefully yeah. it can be retraced, reconnected.
3: Oh.
0: Wayne, you've mentioned, like, a bunch of times kind of in this conversation uh, how important the, uh, like, not the artifacts are, but the, you know, what you learn from them. And Sean and I had kind of been discussing Mm -hmm. this uh, about how (laughs) there's not really that emphasis in consulting archaeology. You've talked about being research-driven rather than just collecting artifact-driven. And, yeah, we just wanted to talk a little bit about that and maybe the future of archaeology. If, like... I don't know potential pathways towards that. Sean, would you care to hop in, or, or just where you see going, or maybe better way, what you would like to see with the future of
1: archaeology as, as maybe you would like to see it envisioned and practiced in BC?
2: Well, I still think we need um, consulting archaeologists out there just to keep a handle on the um, the, constr- the construction work and mm-hmm. all the development around sites and. Just to, we have to monitor all these uh, construction areas, and but I like to see a little bit more research involvement. And,
0: mm-hmm. and I often wonder, yeah. So, like, would a potential <coughs> avenue for the future be like having these companies that deal with a lot of the on-the-ground collection of data, but then the data and the artifacts going to the First Nations to do the research and curation that they want to do?
2: Well, for Musqueam, they're happy with um, UBC being the repository for anything collected through consultant archaeology and and anything, any work that happens on the reserves, being federal land, um, Mm We can do we can collect that data and we can store it up in our own repository here and but um yeah, it's hard to say what direction archaeology is is going right now. I can see it coming and going in waves. When there's big projects happening, then I see a big influx yeah. of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and harder. then I guess people kind of thin out as those projects finish. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah.
2: And they move on to yeah. other avenues. And the
0: the idea with the
1: repositories is good in the sense that you at least it's there and you hope somebody's going to do research on it. Yeah. But it seems like it'd be more meaningful and the archaeology would be more meaningful and relevant to communities and nations if it was co-driven or co-directed with a <coughs> research mo- plan and site with going into these projects, right? If, if it could be developed, co-developed with communities yeah. and what they want from it, then the research or uh, framework and the methods can match those. I like, yeah. try to sort of accrue that data instead of going in blindly. Like we'll, we'll just collect it at this level. Even the methods may be sloppy. Yeah. Maybe it'll be fine. We don't even know. And then at the back end, trying to make something yeah. Yeah. out of a story which was just haphazardly yeah. collected. Right.
2: The thing is with the research, though, it's mm. you probably have to uh, secure grant money to.
1: It seems like yeah. if you could – if the nations could make a case with companies, if, they wa- if they're if they going to be developing and the nations yeah. are okay with the development and whatever the mitigations are going to be to heritage, it seems that the nation could make the case, well, if you're going to yeah. do this, it has to be done like this to make yeah. this. And so there could be some upfront money. And then I, to me, it seems like that would be a better scenario of working together and coming out with common goals than, say, things like that's happened at what, like Marple or other places where – there's disagreement there with consultants and nations, yeah. right, and how they treat.
2: Yeah, it's
1: the remains or the artifacts, right?
2: Yeah, it's um, with Marple. It's that um, when the permit applicant or the when they send it out for tender, I don't <laughs> know how many people <laughs> applied for it. Yeah, yeah. so it's I knew it was contentious yeah
1: yeah,
0: and it yeah even even now it seems like it's uh, it's a place that's so culturally important it's going to require a lot of, of time and communication between everybody to, to figure out what they want to do in the future with that area yeah.
2: and it's so um, mm-hmm. I don't know what they have planned for they know they have an idea what they want to do down the road but it's just um, securing money for it, and mm-hmm.
0: I should mention uh, to to anybody unfamiliar uh, with kind of like the what's happened since the, the big controversy is um, Musqueam's taken ownership of of the site and are now kind of uh, yeah trying to figure out how to what what to do with the area and how to how to protect it or yeah you know, yeah
2: it's going through the permit process right now so it's we're going through the first phase of the permit permitting mm-hmm. um just site protection is yeah. the first base mm-hmm. and
1: are you coming up with like a, a like a site management uh, plan yeah. kind of thing yeah like yeah. a okay yeah
2: there's a site management plan it was recommended by Lenham, right um, okay um, yeah. before um before he passed before he passed away
1: did he, did he pass in 2016 i
2: think so yeah, yeah. in yeah. spring of 2016 hmm.
1: I, I mean, two things. I guess I, I, I'm going to go two different directions. I don't want to. Len Ham's work still stands up. I read stuff he did in the 80s, and it's, <coughs> it's, it's remarkable. And he's a he was a really gifted, strong archaeologist, even a yeah. consulting archaeologist back then. He tried to have some rigor, yeah. And and it stands <coughs> up to this day. So I'm glad I could see him putting in trying to trying to work with the community to do a heritage management plan. But could you also just give a quick background on Cessna and, and Marple so just people know like why that place is so special? And, and and just maybe the impacts it's it's had and why a site management plans in place.
2: Well, Marple, it's been under. Um, there's been a lot of construction happening, a lot of research, mm-hmm. um, has happened at Marpole site. It actually extends pretty; the boundaries extend quite far. Right, and. There are pockets of intact. There's hardly any intact deposits left on Marple or sesnam as yeah. they call it. Yeah.
1: Because of construction and yeah. roads and commercial and residential, yeah. right?
2: So it was just bulldozed in the past in the 50s. You can see bulldozers going through the site. And
0: I can't remember if it was you or Richard who was telling me that in the old basement of the f- the, the hotel there, that you used to be able to walk down and just see the midden in the wall of the the basement.
2: It must have been Richard. Must have been you know, know. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You
3: man. Know.
0: But yeah, that's the you kind know. of. I, g- I guess that kind of was the times people didn't really understand what was so important. Yeah. You know. Well, at least like the <laughs> the Europeans who had you know set up their hotel there didn't understand why the area was so important. Yeah,
2: it's. I think the people there. I'm not too sure what happened to the people. A lot of people did die from smallpox, and mm-hmm. and so there were, it was there are no people. You go ahead and use the land, and yeah. So,
1: but you today, you guys are yeah. currently working through a, a heritage transplant and we we'll yeah to see it through the future, yeah. and protect it.
2: Yeah, on uh, James' point, um, he mentioned. He was an elder mm-hmm. who was 100 years old from, he passed away in 1979 when he he was 100. And wow. He mentioned lawn houses when he was a little boy just um, east of Susnam site yeah. where the Oak Street bus loop is. Hmm?
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Wow. And there's an orchard site a little bit further east of that. Mm-hmm. And Len Ham's been trying to find this orchard site on yeah. aerial <laughs> photographs he's, for years. He's been looking for it. Yeah, <laughs> and he was kind of frustrated, and he came to the office. And he had this aerial photograph, and he handed it to me. And he asked me if I wanted to look through it, and I, he asked, I asked him what he was looking for, and, and he saw. I was Looking for an orchard site that was that was um, mentioned just east of Sestnam, um, and I look. Oh, is that it? Right there. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> looked at it. You looked at me. Yeah, that. <laughs> this
0: is this is one thing that we haven't really talked about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wayne Wayne has an uncanny ability oh. to to find the materials or the evidence i remember you showed up to a site that we were working on and we had been kind of like screening and all of a sudden you know wayne reaches into the screen and pulls out this like i want to say like 10 inch long blade like slate knife just straight (laughs) out of the screen we're all just like (laughs) (laughs) eyes like just like bulging out of our heads jaws open just like wayne's always doing that i've been at so many different
1: places with wayne where he's finding this he's always finding the artifacts i don't know if that goes back to him being a young boy and finding them
0: but it but he, the archaeologists are all goofing around looking around and then Wayne's like, Oh, are you looking for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many sites, but yeah. Well uh should we uh should we wrap her up then?
1: Yeah, we want to do a wrap up thing. We'll say like a thank you thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. We can ask Wayne if he wants to ask us anything.
0: Yeah, uh do you have any do you have anything you'd like to ask us, Wayne?
2: oh. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to know um what
0: your plans are down the road? I guess. So. <laughs> that's that's, that's, uh, that's a can of worms. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's Go a ahead. it's a weird yeah for me. Uh, it's 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 an interesting time to be in consulting yeah. archaeology because not there's not a ton of uh, of of field work which generates a lot of like the income you know. for 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 archaeologists you know. and uh, it's it's a yeah it's a strange time like i've just i've just picked up a paper route to go with my my archaeology job that i have a degree (laughs) for and stuff and i love i love archaeology so much and i i really really hope that like in the future things work in a way where i can you know continue supporting myself and and living doing it but the, the reality also just might be that it's it's a thing not really suited for uh for For the kind of business model that exists, maybe yeah. yeah, maybe the consulting world doesn't make sense as it is, maybe it needs to change, and uh I guess i'll I'll find out when it ch- changes whether or not there's no. a place for me in that world
1: yeah i um yeah, that's a good question wayne i uh I don't know, I mean, I'm hoping that with more youth coming up in the nations and getting involved that the practice of archaeology transforms and changes with nations. Holding ownership and, and and the responsibility more so than the government or the yeah. province or or consultants um, I'd like to be a part of that change if the big projects sh- slow down and communities and nations are having more sovereignty and over ownership I'm hoping that they'll drive that kind of archaeology the way they want to see it and that'll change it but the way it is right now it's slowly changing but it's still controlled too much by clients um, by the branch, you know, yeah. it's it just it's just too dominated by them and corporations too. Yeah. Those are like the three that are really owning this, yeah. and and that has to change. So I'm hoping that smaller firms and those where nations have their own archaeologists yeah. w- will soon take on that mantle and that role. And then those bigger companies won't be able to do it because yeah. it's maybe I don't know. Maybe it'll be smaller projects too. The mega projects are will end, and who may, the the big trans National corporations can't do the smaller stuff, but it's going to take you us. It's going to take a whole bunch no. of people to really make it. But it's it's a hard one to change, like Cody's yeah. saying. The industry is it's just dictated by pure capitalism, and archaeology yeah. as a capitalist endeavor is weird.
0: It is weird. It's it's kind of I don't know. It's it doesn't feel like it's the way it should happen. No. It it feels like like a band aid, yeah, on like you know a developer wants to you know destroy all this stuff and it's kind of for like wh- for what for whatever reason yeah. and then especially like specifically like the the contract archaeologists the consulting archaeologists our job is to uh go in there and kind of like mitigate what we can do the best job we can yeah. and that's what the that seems to be what the province wants that seems yeah, the, to the, be the, what yeah, the client the pro- wants yeah. Yeah. that seems to be what the everybody stand up to it. except yeah. for the archaeologists and first nations want yeah, yeah.
1: So I'm hoping what you were talking about today's discussion which has been wonderful is seeing you kind of had spotlighted some areas that you'd like to see especially with research and then community ownership and those things I hope that's where we're trending. Yeah. And you know and and you you understand too the the fundamentals of archaeology and you, you've seen it for so many years, you've seen it change. Yeah. So it's nice to have your historical perspective on it and talk with us today about it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I guess, I guess on that note, um, kind of nearing, uh, just over an hour here. So I would, uh, I'd like to say thank you so much, Wayne, for, for coming and chatting with us. Uh, this has been amazing. I like, I I always love talking to you. So yeah. It's, do you want the final word, Wayne? You want to just,
2: Oh uh, no, I'm fine. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just glad to share some of that information I have with, with you and,
0: uh, One final little uh, bit before before I let you go. Do you have any words of wisdom to upcoming archaeologists in your community or anything?
2: Um, It's kind of hard to... I like to see more people get into archaeology from First Nations. Um, They can add some of their background knowledge to... If they are First Nations or non-First Nations, uh, they c- they can always add their own knowledge or their own experience to the fieldwork. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone has a little bit of um, their own thing to share out in the field, whether it's um, historical information they have of a certain area, or
1: mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: spend- and I, I really hope that. Uh, people are open to to you know talking about that that no one's like sc- hmm. scared to bring it up for fear that an archaeologist will like look at them funny it's yeah don't worry about what the archaeologist thinks if you have something <laughs> no. that you feel is important you should no. just you know let us uh, or at least with me if if, <laughs> yeah. if you're ever on, on site with sean or i uh talk to us about silly. absolutely everything don't feel silly about anything because i will ask a million stupid questions yeah me too Thank you, Wayne, so much. Okay, you're welcome. And uh, I guess we'll catch you guys next time on The Transect.